0: Welcome to the Reimagine Podcast, a podcast that seeks to reimagine faith and life and community as we link, learn, and live together. I'm Greg English, along with Brad Hoffman and Brian Dupuy. Today, on episode 36, we have a conversation about our relationship to technology and the role of the church in addressing addiction. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. Hey. Hey. Hello, hello. Boy, that's a deep... Topic coming our <laughs> That's way. That's right.
1: Good morning. That's <laughs> right. That's right. Or afternoon, wherever you are. Yeah, but if you're driving or It's all good. Cleaning good toilets. night. <laughs> yeah. Or <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're falling asleep to the smooth sounds of the, the Reimagine Podcast. <laughs> yes. I want to make a statement on that, actually. <laughs> yes.
0: Uh, so one of the things that, uh, you know, when I go into bed at night, um, I'm a I'm kind of guy that prefers the TV to be off. I'm just going to leave it at that. And uh, I like it dark, right? Sure. Um, so... But what I've noticed lately though is I have some audiobooks on and I had the the story of Bob Newhart who is actually reading it and mm. it is a great way to just to settle down to hear somebody reading. Yeah, you know, just to lull right into
2: sleep. Brad, you have no idea what I'm talking about. I could tell. <laughs> I, I, I know Bob Newhart, but I'm like but I'm 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 kind of the opposite of I want it dark and I want it quiet. Not a single sound, unless mm. there's a fan. Mm. I can yeah. do the fan thing, okay. you know, for that that kind of noise. But I had a college roommate um, years ago at Florida, and he had to, he could not go to sleep without the radio on, mm. and ah. it was like we almost came to blows a couple of times about that. But um, it was one of those things that, and so I think it reinforced the fact that I need I need quiet yeah. to go to sleep. Yeah,
0: so. yeah. I don't like the lights from the TV, even when my eyes are closed. Mm-hmm. You still see the stirring of the. Action, but, you know, Bob Newhart does not have a lot of inflection.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, oh, if he you watch any you of his sleep. shows,
0: he can he can his drop put me to sleep. Yeah, <laughs> drop,
1: drop you in a hurry.
0: It's my brother, Daryl. How about the time they went on the uh, flight, the first flight? We're all going to, that was the first episode of, of the counseling, right? Yeah, Let's all yeah. get on a flight and ride an airplane together. <laughs> We're listening to there. the That's right. podcast.
2: Yeah. Bob Newhart. And then he shows Who's up later thought? again on the
0: Big Bang Theory as, as not, uh, Yoda, but some mystical kind of like Yoda. Yeah. Shows up. Yeah. And he he never
1: goes away. (laughs) I never watched The Big Bang Theory. (laughs) Huh? I never watched The Big Bang Theory. I didn't either, but my kids love it. I'm a seven day creationist.
2: Oh, uh, yeah. Come on. Too yeah. good. Too Come good. Come on.
0: Okay. All right. Uh, Black Friday. Black yeah. Friday. <laughs> yeah. Anybody done done any? We talked about the Amazon catalog, you know, a week or so ago. Anybody done Black Friday? Because it's every day. Every day it's Black Friday. Yeah. I oh. went out the other day and um, it was crowded. Really? I, I was shocked uh, how crowded it was. I had to take a back road to get to where I wanted to go because the main drag was just a, a parking lot. Yeah. So we went the back road, came in the backside where we were going, and- you know, I, I needed um, some kitchen stuff, and so we went to this kitchen store, and I just could not believe the number of people Yeah, that were out
1: and about. We miss, really? we miss the Toys R Us. Oh, yeah. Like, that was, like, always a thing, because we don't get the catalogs anymore, and apparently we don't get the— uh, the Amazon one because you live we still have on them. the rural road. Yeah, apparently we're. But I'm uh, the grandfather
2: around. of uh, three girls, and so I do get you know American Girl has found uh, us. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we get, we got like three catalogs in the mail on that already. Yeah, so yeah, 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 yeah.
1: We got a good house loan for uh American Girl <laughs> stuff. So.
2: Have you been? To, have you been to the store like in Chicago, New uh, York, and you done the? Uh, have you done the tea party? There's one in Northern Virginia. Okay, oh, that's right. There's yeah, one. yeah, yeah. And
1: yeah. Uh, one of our children got invited to a birthday party there yeah at the, I, i've never seen anything like it <laughs> uh, it was unbelievable you know couple floors that? and
2: school teacher is that right yeah wow. school teacher started that whole thing then she sold it and made a lot of money That's a lot strong. of more money than she did yeah. in the classroom but yeah so i thought it was interesting yeah but, oh it's interesting but black friday is
3: you know it's, it's every like day. every day
2: yeah it's every day it's like crazy everybody's doing a black friday sale and it's like Dude, it's not even Black Friday yet. So, So why do we do that? So, will
0: there be any shopping Friday after Thanksgiving because we've already had it all?
2: I have no idea. Mm. Good question. It won't be from me because I'm going to. It never is from me. I just don't do
1: it. (laughs) Yeah. Gone are the days of people uh, elbowing other people to get through
2: the Walmart to uh, go ahead and carry out a 55 inch TV. Yeah, maybe we'll have videos of like. One person walking into Walmart. Oh yeah, yeah. Instead yeah. of like these mobs yeah. of people, you know? I'd love to see. We we should make a video where you're ready to go in. <laughs> you're ready. You
1: rush in like like it's going to be a mob and there's no. Yeah. There. <laughs> that would be.
2: That would be fantastic. That's the Black Friday yeah. edition. Yeah, <laughs> Black Friday edition. <laughs> that Ooh, would be this good. is coming together. No, yeah. that's that's crazy. Yeah. But yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's like, everybody's doing it. Yep. I mean all the stores. Yeah, but it depends on. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see. Be, yeah, and now I they're won't.
1: closed on Thanksgiving. A lot of yeah. a lot of the major yeah. retailers, so people can't complain about that anymore. Like in my day, they used to be closed on Thanksgiving.
2: Yeah, <laughs> now they are. Now they are. You lived in the age of uh, the blue laws. Yeah. Yes, yeah, that's right. <laughs> they that's were right. closed yes. on Sunday. Yes. And everything else. Yeah, I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Well, all right. Look what's
1: happened. Look, look at where we
2: are now. Now you can just go to your phone and do a shopping. You don't have to go anywhere. Ah, you're exactly right. That's my lead into our conversation. That's by perfect. The way. Addiction, <laughs> addiction, shopaholic, uh, shopaholic.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're only 36 in, and uh, man, we're doing those transitions. Perfect,
0: <laughs> <laughs> perfect. Wow, yeah, awesome. So, uh, well, let's transition then. That's good. That's yeah. good. So, uh, today on the podcast, we're excited to welcome back our second repeat uh, guest, Jennifer Deal. Yep. yep, Jennifer is a licensed clinical social worker and certified behavioral support facilitator. Uh, she joined us back on episode six early on uh, in the in the COVID environment to talk about mental health and the variety of demographics and ages it was affecting. And today she's going to join in and talk to us about technology and the addictions of technology and what are we what are we talking about now as we move forward in this particular area. So welcome back to the show, Jennifer.
3: Thank you. Good morning. Nice
1: Good morning. to have you back. Have you done your shopping already?
3: Um, yes. Um, But since I don't go out, because I'm um, an at-risk kind of person, so um, I did it all online. Mm-hmm. And so I've got a few things left to get, to get but I did it back in October because I knew it was going to be, did you? I knew in, online shopping was going to be hit more than it had in the past because people aren't going out. So you're
1: mostly done? Yes. So how does that no, work? trust Did do, I'm impressed. Do you, do you yeah, say? Yeah, we got <laughs> to let you go.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Listen. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs>
3: I only have one kid, and I'm an only, and so I don't have a lot of family to, to purchase yeah. things for. So, I, in fairness, I, we shouldn't get all impressed. I don't, I don't have that much to shop for. Well,
0: well, I was going to ask, do you plan an online shopping experience? Like, did you turn the Christmas music on in the background? Did you dress up? I mean, what, what is this like? you go for two hours? Put or three tree out. You know? I mean, what what's the limits on this?
3: No, I didn't. I have to be, you know, since I've been in my house with my kids since March 13th, I had to also be very uh, specific about when, cause she's always here. Yeah. Um, so I, my only planning was the fact that she was upstairs in class. And oh, yeah. so I was able <laughs> to do it while she was in, in class.
0: Another um, parent thankful for school. That's right.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah. I mean,
3: college is definitely different than what she thought, but, um, but yes, um, I had to, I had to be very particular. And now it all comes um, on the porch and she's here and she's like, Oh, is that from Santa? And, you know, she seemed funny. And I was like, I'm not sure. And she's like, Mom, really? And I'm like, can you just act like you don't see it? Can you, can you just do that? Because yeah. yeah. when she was in school, it would come during the day, and I'd be able to corral it before. But, you know, we're all here all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I just have to act like that package isn't there.
1: Yeah.
0: And <laughs> <laughs> hey, let's talk a little bit about um... – The idea of addiction and technology, it's certainly a big conversation right now and we'll reference a few things later, but I'd like to begin with just a a throwback to a a previous episode with uh, Doug Paul and we talked about some predictions of the church and and the future and and things are going forward. Uh, And one thing he talks about is um, churches defining their posture by their digital media presence or where churches get distracted by it. But he also talks about Uh, two major waves that take place. And one of those would be that the evangelistic wave, which seeks to solve uh, a great individual problem is going to come from people who are suffering from addiction to technology. Can you speak a little bit to that?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, it's, it's interesting people really, um, you find some who are very willing to jump on the addiction word, and then you find others who are reluctant to be in that space. Um, But, you know, the research shows that there's really no scientific consensus that is making it neurologically based, which would would be necessary for it to be identified as a neurological addiction. Um, um, But there is definite evidence and movement in this sort of that it's a behavioral addiction. Because addiction can have neurological properties and it can have behavioral properties. And so they... they, um, Like the DSM-5, which is the Bible for mental health diagnostics, um, they have yet to put anything in there about this being an addiction. But WHO, um, the World Health Organization, did come out with a stance, but they're calling it a gaming disorder and not an addiction. Mm -hmm. So addiction speaks more to what people see and what the behavior looks like rather than the neurological piece. Um, But but there is evidence that um, dopamine... Um, it, that's one of the neurotransmitters in the brain that is, is elevated and triggered in an addiction process with regards to alcohol, drugs, um, things like that. And they find that that is that is what um, that is what is is what triggered when you're using any sort of um, technology. And so that's where the addiction sort of conversation began. Was we see this this marker for dopamine being being triggered. And then we're seeing behaviors resulting from that so people are looking to answer your question it, there's there's research being done about whether or not it's neurologically addictive but definitely it's behavioral addictive they're, they're liking it to uh, food addiction and gambling mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's what they're sort of um, really sort of correlating it the most with
1: so what's what's then what's the proper uh way to talk about it do, do you say addiction or is it um
3: i think that we can use i mean i think we all get to use our own nomenclature about you know that because we also want to make sure that that lay people sort of know what we're talking about you know um and so i think addiction is the word that most people recognize but you know just like when when we talk about uh substance addiction you know people can get a little twitchy about that so i think i think we just talk about it um I think the word addiction makes sense, yes. But we want to, if, if we want to be technical about it, we can talk about it in terms of it being a behavioral addiction. So that fit, way, yeah, because that's what people see.
0: So, fifty-nine percent of adults would self-diagnose themselves as people with behavioral addiction to technology. I mean, just think of the think of the idea as a, the thumb is constantly scrolling, right?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Right, mm-hmm. right.
0: So it's. I mean, that's. Would you say that's a high number, and that number's? growing rapidly or
3: oh yeah absolutely i mean and and part of it's because we have access you know and i would imagine you know all of us are curious to see what statistics roll out of the pandemic across every domain right um but i'm curious to see what uh what the sort of access to technology and our use of it how that's been impacted by our world being smaller Um, we won't have all of those stats you know, so much later. So the stats right. that are currently quoted for pre that, but yes, yeah, that's, I mean, that's over half the population. Um, and, and it's interesting because they have an awareness of it, but when we start to talk to anybody about shifting it, they're like, yeah, no, thanks. I'm good.
0: Yeah. That's not me. I don't do that. I mean, yeah.
3: I mean, it's fine. They, they can have that. That's fine. But I think I when I read the things that you all, um, sent me in that, um, document, the ev- evangelical, um, thing that you sent me and then when i watched the social dilemma i was intrigued to see the self-report so i was happy to see the authenticity and we always talk about in the addiction world we, we always those of us that work in it we know that when we ask people uh, to, to estimate their their use of something they tend to usually underestimate it so we often say to ourselves that figure is probably a little higher than what's actually self-reported but yeah that's that's a huge number i mean think about that and think about it globally you
2: know, that's a lot. Yeah. Well, and there's several different, uh, I guess, different countries that where there are, apparently, in some of the research, where there is, uh, I guess, portable devices or mobile devices, smart devices in the hands of greater percentage of population. And you see those numbers escalating. It's almost like mm-hmm. there's a corollary between or some common, common figure between the number of smart devices in the hands of people and the number of people that experience that addiction uh, Peace and so it's uh, while we lag behind some of the countries in the world here in the U.S., uh, we still see these incredible numbers that are there. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. So in trying to understand um,
1: the addiction part of it, is it necessarily the device itself, um, or is it is it all of the apps and and social media on there that we're talking about? So. Is it like the physical having that device in your hand um, and and having it always readily available, or is it really what that leads to and and that's where the addiction comes in?
3: I would the addiction comes from what the device provides, right? It's not the, the device is the conduit. You know yeah. what we're seeking is what's produced, and so what they talk about with dopamine, you know, is that when we look at when you look at lights. You know, that was a big thing for a while. Like, um, I was so intrigued to w- when I watched the social bill to see that they had the guy on there that invented the like button right, on Facebook. Right,
2: yeah.
3: Like, I didn't, even, I mean, obviously that was a thing, but I was like, a human invented that. I just thought it's mind-blowing <laughs> to me. But what 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 happens is we look at the likes, we look at um, what we get from that, and so that's what's reinforcing. So so what happens is, is, is it can be a light, it can be we won the game, it can be that somebody that we wanted to talk to, you know, answered our text. It could be information that we were looking for. We found. I mean, it's very simplistic. It's, it's all based on re- behavioral reinforcement. Yeah. It's it, that's why they liken it to, sh- to slot machine. Right. It's mm-hmm. a it's an intermittent schedule of reinforcement. So what happens is is we don't know when we're going to get the next thing. Like when I watched the sixty minute documentary years ago, it talks about how the people who run the things like Snapchat and stuff they look at how frequently you sw- swipe up and they release information based on that. And they withhold it at, so from some algorithm long enough for you to get a little anxious and nervous about it. And then they thrust you with it, which causes you to free swipe I mean, and that's, that's what, so what's happening is, is that because we don't know when the reinforcer is coming, when the reinforcer actually does come, it has greater value to our brain, releases more dopamine in a quick shot And then because we want more of that, we keep going back. And that's what creates the increase in the behavior. So it's what's released. So it depends on what you're using. For a video game, for example, it could be I want to win. I want to beat my score. I want to go and, you know, nowadays with the the multiplayer game, those things are, are so sophisticated because not only do you get to play a game, which is fine, but you get to be your own character, you get to create your own reality, and you get to reach out across the world. So there are so many reinforcing things just in that one scope. So it depends on what you're using, whether it's a, a video game, a phone, a website, but whatever it is, it releases our dopamine and that keeps us coming back for more.
1: It's interesting. And even- that's
3: why we have the device all the time, because that's the conduit. Yeah. If we, it's sort of like if somebody is an alcoholic, you know, the AA talks about, you know, change your people, places, and things. Because if you walk into a restaurant, you don't have to drink. But the alcohol's right there. And so it makes it harder. So that's why our phone is just the conduit, but it looks to the to us as viewers that we're addicted to the phone. Well no, that's just the conduit to get to what we're actually addicted to, which is the stuff on it. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. My my um my girls, they have these games they play on iPad or uh, uh and um what's what's fascinating about them is that you can build these whole worlds but you have there's a, a Point you get to where you have to come back, um, and they like give you a certain time. Now, if you wanted to pay money, uh, you could you could skip that. But otherwise, um, you're kind of you're kind of locked out for for a little bit, um, and then it makes them like so ready. I have to go back and check, uh, yes. which is which is fascinating. And I try to talk to them about that, but they just look at me like, "What? What are you talking about?" Uh, but it's like it's like they're. They're doing that same thing. Like you, we want you coming back, and obviously there's advertising involved because now there's an ad uh, every ten seconds when you're trying to play a game on any kind of device, right? But mm-hmm. um, but it was interesting that that they they kind of stop you for a minute, um, but all that does is make you want to come back even more right, right. Uh, and and continue. Well, that's
3: on. the whole point, and that's why that that movie was so telling because it's it's clear that these people are manipulating us. And I was intrigued by the fact that they said. We are actually the products, yeah. Right, like like Facebook, social media, all that, They're not the product. We are the product. Yeah. And manipulation of us is how they get what they want.
1: Yeah, and sl- slightly manipulating and changing your decision right. making mm-hmm. uh, over time. Man, you're a hamster on a wheel, folks. <laughs> <laughs> in a it, little clear cage. That's you know, what that's it what felt like, like after watching that. I'm like, what in the world? Yeah. Uh,
2: you know, I think we've mentioned that social dilemma, which is something people should watch. Um, and disclaimer, there's some language and stuff like that. But I mean, the same thing, they, they should watch that from a sense of understanding the science behind the application. I found interesting yesterday I was listening to a portion of the uh, Senate um, hearings with uh, Mark Zuckerberg and with uh, Jack Dorsey and, wow. and with Twitter and with Facebook. And they were both posed, Lindsey Graham posed this question to both of them saying, is is social media addictive? And uh, the CEO of Facebook makes this comment that uh, the the jury's still out, basically, that there's not enough information out there. Um, the guy at Twitter makes a comment that, um, well, yes, it could be, kind of. So the idea is you have two leaders of two major platforms that are sending a mixed message, about the addictability, if that's a word, of the product in which they offer. But what was intriguing to me was two things. So Lindsey Graham said to both of those gentlemen, he asked them a question. He said, have you all seen The Social Dilemma? And I'm just laughing, you know, I think, oh, yes, I know they've seen that because that's all their former employees are on there, you know. Well, his comment was he was aware of it. Uh, and then, uh, Dorsey, his comment was that he had not seen it and wasn't aware of it basically. So the idea was interesting too. There again, uh, mixed message, but the piece I'm trying to get to finally is the comparison that Lindsey Graham used between social media as addiction. And he, he phrased it. He went all the way back to tobacco. And he said, you will remember when tobacco was thought to be good for you, wholesome. It was the status symbol kind of thing. And there wasn't any science about how harmful it was to your physical body. So it was interesting. He said there was a day and time when people promoted it not knowing the full impact of its use at the same time we talk about social media. So he's comparing those two in the same sentence, which is interesting to me. And some people say, well, that's just an overreactive politician of some kind. But I think there's value in comparison, comparing those kind of items, um, especially when you talk about addiction, things that we thought were good or were fine to use, but it wasn't until enough work was done to determine that its use really should be limited or its use should be supervised in a sense.
3: Well, and we've seen that explosion. I mean, when you look at the data that they gave, it was around 2009, 2011 when things really hit. And I mean, we had, we had phones like Blackberries and stuff obviously before then, but the magnitude, the access, Blackberry,
2: what's that? No, know, right,
3: right? Uh, The saturation of things had not yet hit, and it had not become so so prolific across all generations. At that time, it was something that grownups had. It was something that business people had. It wasn't not everybody had that. Um, so when we look at longitudinal data in the science world, I mean, we're only talking. Let's just say ten years. That's not. A lot of longitudinal data when you look at something on this scope. So, yeah, that that stuff is still being written. I mean, they're taking it, you know, but to to look at a longitudinal study of the the impact on the brain and its development, you know, you're going to, that needs to at least be, I mean, because the executive functioning skills that we're talking about don't even finish developing until 25, 26. So, you at least need to measure to that age group. And we really are just coming up on that. And, you know, that's the other thing that's so interesting is that people who want to talk about it, it's like, well, maybe it's not bothering our brains. And it's like, dude, really? How do you, I mean, it's just, it's just sheer scientific principle. And so it, it, it just is. The brain still develops the same way it did. It, that, that's a given. But what we're doing now is we're imparting something in it that has massive ability to change and shift that. And they, they talk about this idea. Um, there's this thing called pruning that our brain does neurologically and, Uh, it happens like I think I think like twice in our lifetime and one of those times is around 13 or 14 Um, and so what it what that means is is it goes in there and it discards or sheds prunes what sort of neurons and things and pathways that we aren't using as much and then it strengthens the ones that we use the most and so the worry for kids is is that if they're strengthening the pathways that speak to this sort of dopamine you know sort of insurgents and things like that and some of the others that aren't getting used like your social development your emotional development all the things that historically we develop normally if those aren't getting used there's a worry or fear that they will be pruned away and not as um mastered as they should be and that's that's the concern and that happens you know the brain keeps developing
0: So one of the things that we tend, or I think we tend to do, is we just, we blame it on the kids. Oh, it's the kids. It's the kids. But I can look across the board at my parents' age and and my in-laws and know that um, they love their device and spend a lot of time on that device. Uh, So, and Brian talks about, you know, his kids, and and I have kids in the 20s, and and Brad, you you have kids too. But I'm also watching uh, my granddaughter, who's two, and, and you're watching your granddaughters, that... It's amazing that they grab my phone at that age and they know what to do with the phone. I don't yeah. even know what to do with the phone. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm that I'm that generation in between. We went to college and there was no internet. By the time I got out of college, there was internet. You know, so I yeah. mm-hmm. I still hold a pencil on paper. That I mean, that's just me. But is there? Where's the age bracket? What are we primarily dealing with in terms of the demographics? It's across the board, right?
3: I would would say so. I mean, and again, I think that's the reason for the conversation around the biological piece of it. Because whenever we talk about this, you know, people get twitchy. They get offended. They get defensive. They get protected. You know, and and especially, you know, we're all, I think, same generation. The kids under us just hear adults talking to us. And, oh, of course you guys hate it. You're old. You don't understand. (laughs) And, um, And that's fine. I mean, that's not news to me. But what the thing, the thing that we're wanting to really, I think, sort of talk more about is, you know, dopamine exists in the two-year-old and it exists in the, the 80-year-old. It, it, this is what's happening. It, it it looks like it's behavior. And so we kind of focus on that. And I mean, and it is, but it's, or, its origin is internal and chemical. And so if we can take the people out of it, like, because they get, they get offended, They get, you know, they're like, well, who are you to tell me? And I'm like, dude, it's not like that. You know, it's let's look at what's happening in your brain and let's figure out how we can regulate it. it, Because one of the things I liked about the social dilemma was it would be naive to act as if we could function without this stuff. We we can't. And I don't want to vilify it. It it does offer a lot of great things. Um, And I think that's one of the messages that will help connect us to Gen Z and future generations, because, you know, we have a working memory of what life was like before this. Gen Z's have been born. With this, so they are the first generation completely digital native. We have to remember that we grew up and we learned how to understand and measure time. We feel time. We understand that the TV cut off at midnight when everybody sang the Star Banner.
2: Oh, say again?
3: Right? Yeah. I mean, and then it just went. It went to fuzz, right? And we were annoyed, but that forced us to kind of go to bed or do something else. You know, they have not sort of had the opportunity to learn that regulation skill, and it's not their fault, Um, but when they hear people, adults, talking to them, they feel like we're sort of bashing them. Um, They take it personally, and that's fine. I mean, we can speak to that, but, I mean, that's just the skill that they haven't, they, without intentional development, it's hard for them to, to grow that, and so across the board, it is everybody everywhere. And even when we look at people who are older than us, you know, I mean, the bottom line is when we, it's like you just keep need to keep thinking about the slot machine. All of us would set that slot machine, and they're based on reinforcing me in just enough time to keep me coming back. It's a, it's a very basic behavior principle that's really motivating this behavior.
0: Yeah, one of the greatest legacies my dad left for uh, his grandkids. I did not know this until he passed away. He was paying 50, 70 bucks a month to keep the nine foot cord rotary phone hooked to the wall outside yeah. <laughs> of that my kids would not know what a phone was on the wall right <clears throat>
1: yeah, yeah, that thing yeah, yeah. so
0: yeah i I, yeah. I do I think it's I think it's all ages and I think as a yeah. parent uh maybe sometimes even as a spouse uh, as a son you know to my parent uh it, it's kind
1: of like we're quick to say you know you're on that all the time you know yeah. kind of thing yeah yeah. Uh, so and there is a defensive thing. Like, there is. Like to attack, uh, to say something about the device in their hand Go is to boy. say something about them. And, yes. uh, you know, and so there's like yes. this reaction of, you know.
3: And again, yeah, I think because we grew up having to stand in line with nothing to do, you know, like I, I, I think generationally that defensiveness feels and looks different because, you know, when we say that to this generation, the Gen Z, their model, everybody in their generation for the most part, does this I mean they, they don't know anything different um and I just think it's important for us to remember that because we're raising those kids but we have a, a frame of reference that they have no idea about yeah. but yeah even as adults and I think the adult addiction is different um I don't I I, sh- I don't have any data to support this but I think um the numbers and stuff are certainly just, you know elevated and high but um I think that we, we know that people tend to have addictive personalities. Um, that that exists, so some have that more than others, but, you know, I still believe that our ability to regulate that, because we were raised, and and our our brains and neurons developed prior to this, that we have a a little bit of a greater ability and advantage to regulate this when we choose um, than the younger generations, because they just, either they're in the middle of still developing that stuff, or, you know, they just aren't getting as much access to it as we did.
2: So that's an interesting observation that because you basically now you're saying and we use this word treatment, which isn't the right word to use, but in a sense of how you approach the challenge or how you approach the addiction it's going to be different for somebody, that is an adult and somebody's a child. So how do you I think for a standpoint as a parent of both as adult children and as a grandparent of little kids who do know how to use phones, who are, can work games and watch movies and that kind of stuff at three years and two months old and that kind of stuff. But so how do we, how do we help? I think, how do we help self-regulate as adults? And then how do we help model those behaviors for our kids and our grandkids in a sense? Is there some, I mean, if you were going to, um, what kind of observations or suggestions do you make in that conversation?
3: Well, I mean, I think the one thing I, I talk to a lot of parents about, and I, I don't mean to sound sassy when I say it, but the phone for eighteen and under, the phone belongs or the device, the game, whatever, it belongs to us.
0: Yeah,
3: it, it is a, a privilege. No, it's she didn't.
1: Thing,
0: yeah. what'd you say? I said, "No, you didn't." Come on,
1: <laughs> <laughs> louder for those of us in the back of the room. That's right.
0: <laughs> okay, well, back back I, to your thought. I'm sorry.
1: It's okay. No, I
3: know say it when I say I don't I don't mean to sound sassy because I'm not saying basically you know this is y'all's gig that's not what I'm implying I just think it's important to remember that we have to do for our kids what they can't do for themselves sometimes Mm, and 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 meaning the regulatory piece and and sort of reminding that them that that something and 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 that's you know I I don't I don't want to look at it as consequence driven or anything like that it's just something that that deserves to be regulated and, and thought of as privileged um, and, and how we have access to it. Because I think I hear a lot of folks say, well, I don't know what to do. I don't, I don't know how to fix this. And I'm like, well, well you take it. And, and they just kind of are like, well, can I do that? And that's where that <laughs> conversation evolved to. Um, yes, you, you can. And so it's because it's, it's really become part of our culture. It's a thing. I mean, it's right. like it's, it's a thing but i'm like yeah but it's a privilege it's not something they it's not a need it's a want you know and so in terms of that we then sort of roll into conversation and this applies to us adults as well because you know nobody's going to take our phone because it does belong to me right
0: i'm gonna try to take kelly's phone i'll see how that yeah. works out <laughs> from
1: my cold
2: dead <laughs> hands
3: yeah well <Yeah>. yeah. <laughs> and that you also do have the implication of the relationship involved with the conversation, right? It's yes. parent relationship with kids, that conversation is a whole lot different than, oh, you're my spouse. You know, like, let's talk about your use. I mean, that that's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> um, but, I, it, you know, it, it, it's sort of like talking about access. It's about structure. It's about discipline. It's about, you know, um, and, again, the conversation is different. So, like, if we're talking about parents, we want to know your message and we want you to, to model that message and make sure that it's congruent with what you're sending. So, you know, if we are, because a lot of times parents will say, you know how we have that whole conversation with our kids when they drive and we're like, well, we can drive because we've been doing it for 30 years. So you you just haven't had enough time yet to, to, to drive to Carrytown or Fort Pomp by yourself. Um, well, we can't use that logic with a phone. You know, we can't say, well, we've had much more time on the phone than you have. So you just can't use it as mm-hmm. much like that. That doesn't work. And so they feel like we're all on the same playing field because, you know, we all use the phone in the same way. So if we're if we're modeling having it at the dinner table, um, oh, well, I've got to use it for work or, you know, I've got it, Then then they're going to whatever's important to us. They're going to have things that are important to them. And they're going to, they're going to analogize those and say, well, yeah, your work's important to you, but knowing what friend of mine's texting me is important to me. And so we, we, we can't equate those, even though they're going to try. So, and and that's what they're supposed to do. And then there's a little bit of, you know, manipulation and um, (laughs) brokering in there for good luck. So, so what do you do? I mean, I I think you just, you you come up, what was the, the gentleman, the social psychologist in the, in the social dilemma. You know, he had three suggestions that he, that, but that, that I thought were great. You know, he talked about obviously, well, I say obviously, um, taking all of the phones or, or any sort of um, device and not leaving it in kids' rooms yeah. or, or adult rooms. Now, the only reason we put them in adults' rooms is to make sure the kids don't sneak down and get them because that happens. Um, but, you know, then he talked about, um, but uh, not having access until you're in high school for kids. Um, and and he, was, he was basing that on the developmental sort of age and stage stuff. I mean, again, executive functioning and all of those important skills don't develop till later. But the longer we can delay any interruption in that, is, it, and, and also middle school is just hard, right, socially, emotionally. And then the, also, the biggest piece, though, is time. Like, you know, people will always say to me, well, I, I just don't think you don't want me to have access to it. And I'm like, no, 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 that's not it. We have to regulate your access to it. We have to manage it. So it's it's not that you can't have it. It's not bad. It's just, if we don't regulate it and create a sense of time around it, it's just going to morph into all the time. And and I think, so does that answer your question? I mean, there's so many ideas of how, and it can be very independent um, based on the person in front of you, like what works for them. Um, So I think there's,
2: there are lots, there are lots of options out there, lots of paths, but I think it's. For me, it's having conversations about that. I think both as adults, talking with other adults about what they're doing, as they're raising families, but also <clears throat> um families talking about this uh, and the mm-hmm. reality of it, and maybe it's your high school kids or middle school your family watching the social dilemma and talking yeah. about the contents of that and how it impacts your family because there's all kinds of identity stuff that are tied yeah. i mean that like button and some of this other stuff that shows up i mean that's that act- I, I mean that that is actually that's influencing how you perceive yourself and in a sense it's it's a forming piece for you. And so we've got to be very careful about those um, because that's you went back earlier and you said we've got to do for them what they can't do for themselves. And so I think in some reaction or uh, some way, not reaction but proactively help create boundaries for our families that protect our families and the wellness and the mental health um, of that child. Uh, that's and I that's
3: for, <laughs> yeah, and I think that's true for anything. I mean, we teach we teach regulation in other ways, so we just need to add the device or the game to that, you know. And, and um, but it's I, I, I do want to say it's not simple. I mean, yeah. I, I don't want anybody to think that this is an easy conversation or that. You know, because we talk about it, it solves itself. I, I don't believe that on any on any level. It's not easy. I mean, parenting just on a good day is difficult. But when you add <laughs> something like this and you see the impact for your kids, you know, parents will talk about how hard it is to see their kids struggle socially and, and they'll say, well, this is my social outlet, you know, and that tugs at us a bit, you know, but um, it, it just means we have to dig a little deeper and we have to find other ways to, to manage those needs. But that's why it's unfortunately so successful, whether it's the gaming or the the social media and the the phones is if there's any sort of worry about fitting in any sort of social sort of just struggles or uncertainties, um, or any sort of self-esteem pieces or sense of self, this is something that allows them to go into this sort of, uh, structured controlled space and, um, and that's why it's so reinforcing, but why it's equally as dangerous because then they don't learn
2: to trust themselves
0: and and learn the skills they need to function. Yeah. So let me get back uh, as we go towards uh, wrapping up a little bit. I do want to go back to the uh, the tension that is taking place, and particularly within the church. So we live now in a dispersed environment of of spiritual gatherings, whether that's in and groups meeting outwards are not coming back on campus. And there's certain things out there that we know are happening among the church. So we know that the digital engagement is playing a key factor in the church uh, and through discipleship. Uh, and there's certain, uh, you're going to go at it a couple of ways. A, a church is going to say, you know what, we're going we're gonna to accept the idea that uh, this is the best way for us to communicate, for us the best way to uh, disciple people during this time due to COVID-19. And so we're going to do everything from a digital presence. There's some that's going to do a hybrid model. We're going to have digital presence. We're going to have uh, some in-gathering where you can. Now, that's based on locality right now across the country, whether you can or you can't. Uh, There's going to be some church that's going to say, you know what, we're just not going to do anything digital. Uh, So how is it, or do you have any thought to... Uh, as we move forward, you know, Brad, we talk about a hybrid model. We we we're just putting emphasis in digital engagement, but mm-hmm. we also have the on location for uh, gatherings right now. All right, in person, uh, in person mm-hmm. gatherings that we we meet the safety guidelines to safe to gather again. Uh, but we are pushing digital engagement. So, what's the tension, uh, maybe, for the church going forward to engage digital uh, formats, but yet? there's this addiction issue out there as well. And what can the church that maybe that's question a question B is how does the church walk alongside in this issue to uh, create safe practices?
3: Well, I mean, I think that's a great question. I think that the first thing that comes to my mind anyway is sort of the goal or the intent of the use of, of, of that platform. And to me, um, as somebody who's benefiting from that, cause I can't come to church in person, so I watch it. Um, it, I think that if we, I think one of the things that we look at is what, what is our goal and our intent? And from what I'm gathering, what I'm hearing you guys say is it's, it's information dissemination and it's providing a service, right? And so it, it, to me, I know this, I don't know if this makes sense, but there's a finiteness around that. There's a very clear beginning, middle, and end to each output that you have. And so it's not, it's not, the, the intent is to communicate information. It's to share with people what's happening at your church. And and I'm imagining that once they read that, whether it's a post or an email, they're done with it, right? I mean, they don't sit there and and play it if you will oh, we're hoping um, to
0: get past three seconds I mean, <laughs> that's the average Facebook, view yeah, of, of, of most of most users <laughs> not, not on our <laughs> stuff but everybody else yeah, yeah that's yeah. Right.
3: that's so funny um, well and, and so and the same thing with the sermons and with with the things that you guys are are sharing there the, the intent and goal of them is, is again it's information to send. so i think that by and large does not create an addictive process. That's not the intent. We need to be aware, but you know, I mean, I, I don't, I just don't feel like the intent of that space and the goals around it are going to create an addictive process. Now, if you ask yourself, well, what about the person who is addicted? Um, will that exacerbate or maintain their addiction? Again, I don't think it's information sites like that, that people, that if, if we were to survey people, who, who said, yes, I'm addicted. And then we asked them to tell us what they're addicted to. I don't think it would be things like Wikipedia, you know, or, you know, I mean, some people might, some people might just enjoy continuously learning and that's great, but that's not a conversation. But so I just don't think that. So I think that the conversation, it it made me think about, there were a couple of things that I wanted to speak to about that. When I watched the, um, Oh gosh, I got to get this right. Was it the YouTube discipleship? Is that is it a YouTube thing? I'm not very down. It's,
0: it's a, a yeah. It's the uh, CoolSpring.org YouTube.
3: Yeah. Yeah. When you were interviewed to talk yes. about discipleship. Yep. So one of the things I thought was so cool about that was when you talked about your philosophy as a church and and the idea of starting where the individual is with their with their faith journey. walk. and and it was so great because in social work, that's what my master's is in the saying is start where the client is because it, we would be, we would be presumptive to start where we think they should be. Right. Right. I mean, we can, so I love that, that, that is how the church is, is starting that. And it, and then there was the next word I was looking for was relationship. And that came because that's what it's about. It's about the relationship and things grow and, 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 and bloom from that process. And so when you think about, the, the report that you guys got with the prediction and it, it talked about, it referenced AA and how that came about um, way back in the 30s when we had the depression and alcoholism really began to take form and it has a spiritual and faith-based component, right? And 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 that's how that grew and I think got some legs, especially back in the day when, when, when communities were so much more centered around their church. So to answer the question, I think, the way that we can be responsible as a church is to recognize, as you all are doing, that this is a thing. And that's probably why it's on your prediction list, because there is power in the church and in relationships and in our faith. And that's how we've handled problems of every across every decade and domain. So it's it's not different in that regard, but we we do want to—it's it, sort of like the conversation about mental health, right? The, the It's like, how do we create— um, Comfort, safety, dialogue. Um, how do we help people feel accepted? Um, how do we grant grace and, and treat them with dignity? And then how do we bring in scripture and how do we bring in things like that that give them something to transition that behavioral addiction to and find that hope and, and, and peace through those things and the people in our lives in the church? Did, did that answer that? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. 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 I like it's that. Yeah, that's good.
0: That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we certainly could keep going deeper into this conversation for sure, and we'll have you back again.
1: <laughs> That's <Yeah>. right. <laughs> Three
0: people, our resident
2: therapist. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's right. Y'all are silly. So, just curious, any uh,
0: resources you would say for people? Uh, you've mentioned the social dilemma. There's also the book uh, Digital Minimalism. Do you have any other from a from your your profession perspective of people to pay attention to?
3: Well, I, I did write down a couple of things. Um, and again, I mean, you know, it's funny that we're going to talk about access to resources that exist on the Internet.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and,
3: but that, that's why I think it's so important that that if we're trying to, to capture our audience and some of that audience are digital natives, we have to be willing to acknowledge acceptance of this, this issue because we don't want anybody to think that access to technology is bad. I mean, the social dilemma talks about, you know, do we want to be a pawn in that game and, and what choices can we make to feel more independent of that? But the existence of it and what it gives us is, is really phenomenal. So um, a couple of thoughts I have. I mean, basically in terms of treatment, if you will, I mean, there are uh, facilities across the country that offer inpatient, outpatient, and intensive outpatient, which is called IOP for technology addiction. It's new. Um, It's built on the same principles of of other treatment in terms of gaming addictions and things like that. But they do have that. I think it's, from what I read, it was really predominantly um, associated with young people because they're the ones that have the biggest saturation of numbers. Um, So that's there. Um, But like locally, and just what can people do? Um, Individual counseling, you know, people hear therapy and think it's, you know, just this big, deep process. But um, and it can be, but this sort of approach would be much more behavioral in nature. And they use a, a therapy called cognitive behavioral therapy that works at the cognitions and the things sort of surrounding, um, cause there's a process that allows us to, um, some of this, some of this behavior happens through the dopamine sort of naturally, but then there are things within us that maintain it. And so we would want to, you know, work with an individual to find out and very seriously, like, What's leading you to use this? Why are you staying on it so much? What do you think maintaining it? So kind of the behavioral therapy, family therapy, which would include parenting stuff. Um, I do. I mean, I can tell you with 100% certainty in the last five to six years, there is not a day that goes by that I don't have a session in regards to this topic. <laughs> not a day. Not, wow. not a day. And so a lot of conversation with parents, a lot of um, uh, behavioral parenting strategies, things like that. Um, some resources, uh, you know, the schools are, are in Hanover. I've been involved through the PTA and through different things with um, the schools that the ITRT have some presentations. And for the Hanover County Council of PTAs, we have, um, in the past, we have done some um, forums on digital media for kids. So one of the things that developed out of that was they taught me about a, a site called Common Sense Media um, and the schools have a website, on the schools, the Hanover schools website, there is a um, drop down menu for that and it links you to the site. And there are copious amounts of information about that um, and parenting strategies and, and just awareness. You know, like, dude, we can't keep up with all the stuff that's being invented, you know, that we have to keep, be aware of. Um, and then another, I know this is going to sound silly, but PBS Kids, um, PBS does a lot of with, um, I, when I do some trainings for daycares, which I do from time to time, I found PBS kids in a search one time. I had no idea. I thought it was going to talk about Caillou and Sesame Street. You know, <laughs> I, had, I had no idea that there was a whole sort of, um, they have a whole site driven to the, you know, age and stage developmental stuff. So Greg, that's another, another site. So there's, there's therapy that will help. And then, I mean, you search on the Internet, anything, and, and they, they will show you all kinds of things. But mm-hmm. the traditional thing that I saw most of was individual and uh, family therapy, marriage counseling, of course, if it's impacting mm-hmm. your relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, all of those sites have little tidbits of things.
0: Well, for, yeah, for for Caillou, uh, Brad, Brian, and myself, thanks for <laughs> being on the podcast today. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Caillou
3: That's, was my favorite. Yeah,
1: yeah. Did you say Caillou's your favorite? Well, as
3: a, as a mom. yeah. <laughs> because I, as, as a kid, it was, of course, Sesame Street, Mr. Rogers, and 321 Contact.
1: Yes.
0: Yes.
3: <laughs> I mean, I, come on. Yep.
0: Yeah. Yep.
3: Yeah.
0: Y'all are the 80s people. You know this.
1: Yeah, that's right. That's right.
0: So, no, really, uh, thanks so much for yeah, coming back man, and being on the podcast today. And uh, we look forward to having you again. So, uh, a lot of good thoughts today. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, regulation, uh, it is here. And so, you have to learn to use it uh, in appropriate manners and have conversations. Kids, spouses, even older parents uh, are out there.
1: Even but, just checking your screen time. Oh, man. Like, just go right. in after listening to this podcast and see how, how often do you pick up your phone? How yeah. often do you unlock it? How you know What's your time? You know, one time I changed
0: it uh, to all black and white because there even is a study that they yeah. make the colors that yeah. drive your eyes to it. Oh, yeah. They do the internet, uh, I went on yeah. to black and white. So there's so yeah, much yeah. In, inside of this. So uh, thanks, everybody. For Absolutely. Joining us today on the Reimagine Podcast. As always, you can follow us on iTunes, Spotify, and Overcast and download any of the episodes, and we'd love for you to rate them. So, for Brad and Brian, I'm Greg. Thanks for listening to the Reimagine Podcast.